The Radiant Podcast is a proud member of the Converge Podcast Network. And I want to give a quick shout out to our underwriting ministry partner, First 15. To get deeper into God's Word today, visit first15.org forward slash converge. Now on to today's show. Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week we have my friend Lori Bush of Sulvasa Beauty joining us. I think you're in for such a treat for this conversation because not only does Lori share the twists and turns her story has taken to get her to where she is today, she also shares launching during a recession and now launching a new beauty product in a totally unprecedented time with coronavirus and quarantine. Guys, we always have the possibility of something throwing a wrench in our plans, especially when it comes to building our business. And I think Lori speaks so well to that today. So again, I think you're in for quite a treat with this conversation. I hope that it serves as a bright spot in your week. So let's get to it. I can't wait for you to meet Lori. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, I am so excited to have you on today. It has been a long time coming. We've been trying to get this on the book, so I am so glad to finally be together. I would love for you to start by sharing your story, introducing yourself with the Radiant Tribe, and just giving us a little snippet into your life. Well, I'm happy to. I'll try to keep it short enough because I've lived quite a few years already and had a lot of amazing experiences You know, starting growing up, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally, um, a Buckeye educated at the Ohio State University, um, where I've become more involved in alumni activities of late, graduate school in Philadelphia at Temple University. Um, But growing up, you know, um, I have one sister. I grew up in a small family. My parents, my sister and I, you know, a more traditional, a different time than we experience today where, you know, without all of the um, advantages, but also all of the distractions of digital technology. Um, So, you know, grew up in elementary school in the 60s, high school in the 70s, my undergraduate work in the 70s, such a different time when I reflect on it. But growing up, I had, as I mentioned, one sister I used to think of it as she was the pretty one and I was the smart one. Although my sister's very intelligent and uh, beauty has actually become part of my um, business, my profession. But I was really focused very much on academia. My father had very high expectations that I would achieve some sort of um, technical, professional career, very focusing me on STEM studies, which back in the day, we never called um, the science studies STEM. It was just science or math. Um, So from an educational perspective, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I fell in love with the study of genetics when I was in high school. So I started my education and expectations of a career in medicine um, to become a genetics counselor. Going wow. through, yeah, um, 
but during my undergraduate time at Ohio State, about a third of the freshman class was pre-med. And at that point, it was really difficult to get into medical school. And I thought, well, what if I don't get into medical school? I better um, adjust my career track so that if I don't, I at least have a job when I graduate. Ironically, I switched to medical technology, which turns out was an amazing program. But then I learned that the state of Ohio put so much investment into medical technology students that they didn't want it to just be the training grounds to go to medical school. They really wanted people to practice as medical technologists. So I thought, oh my gosh, my chosen undergrad degree was going to keep me from going to medical school. Uh, it turns out that it was quite the opposite. And while I was a med tech student at Ohio State, I participated in a competition that was called the Student Bowl of medical technology students in the region, in the state, in the country. And we got fairly far along to, uh, we won our state, we were in the region. It was like an academic challenge. And while I was doing that, I was, uh, I met a doctor who was a judge, a pathologist in Muncie, Indiana. And I'm a big believer on return on luck. Throughout our lives, we have good luck and bad luck events. Uh, and everything could move us forward if we really take the opportunity to do something with that luck and make something yeah. out of it. Reverse, you know, learn from the bad luck, take advantage of the good luck. So the good luck in this particular case is that I met a doctor who was world famous in this very narrow discipline of thrombosis and hemostasis. Uh, basically blood clotting, both the, the diseases of blood clotting and the treatment of blood clotting disorders. And he hired me to work with him on research and doing clinical trials and lecturing and educational seminars in this particular discipline. So I moved to Muncie, Indiana, not my necessarily favorite place to live because it was very different <laughs> yeah. culturally than where I grew up. But I had this amazing career opportunity very early on. I was in my early 20s, right out of college, undergrad. And I was doing core research, developing new techniques. And in the process, I was meeting people from all over the world, publishing papers. And that was such a great developmental effort and experience because what I learned there is I was oftentimes handed a blank piece of paper effectively to, to create and build something. We want to develop a diagnostic test for XYZ so we could do a clinical trial on this new medical device or diagnostic equipment or reagents that were coming out. So at a very early age, I was given a lot of responsibility so um, it was really important there to learn the important, oh, to learn diversity in terms of resources. Anyway, one of the companies that I did a clinical trial for um, hired me to come work for them in doing product development. And so I moved to Philadelphia and started doing product development in the diagnostics area. And at the same time, went to graduate school to get a marketing degree. What I was um, going back, though, to Muncie, what was really interesting is one day when I was sitting there waiting for a timer for 
to go off for one of my tests. The doctor that I was working for, his name was Douglas Triplett. He's since passed away um, of early onset Alzheimer's, sadly. But um, Dr. Triplett came into the, the laboratory and he threw a, a, a form on the table on the lab bench in front of me. And he said, fill this out. And I said, what is it? And he goes, it's the application for med school. He goes, fill it out. I'll make sure you get in um, at University of Indiana. And, you know, with as much as I had started my career wanting to go to medical school, I actually said, you know what? I don't think that's what I want to do anymore. I really just love this invention area that we're working on here. So I ultimately went into industry from the clinical setting into a company where I was doing research and development. And the I probably had one of the most significant accomplishments in my career at the ripe old age of 24. I got wow. to this company and I had an idea um, how to make a commercial version, a test kit version of a test that I had been doing at this special laboratory. And I said to the, the owner and the CEO of the company, I could do this if you let me. And I think the most important thing was that he didn't stop me. He said, yeah, go ahead, whatever. It didn't require a lot of money or resources. And I would stay after hours and tinker on this test that I thought should be developed. And you know, one day I emerged from the lab and I said, Eureka, I've done it. And um, we put the test into commercial production and I had the opportunity to do every aspect of product development from coming up with the idea to doing the, uh, the development work, making my mistakes. In fact, it was one of the mistakes I made that actually was the breakthrough in being able to complete the project. I ended up doing the manufacturing specifications not even having any training and having done that, worked on the marketing, the, um, the communications, end-to-end, -end, every aspect of this product. And it turns out it was a huge success for the wow. company. And while I was working on it, one of the funniest things that happened is one of the engineers at the company was watching me. He was just observing me one day as I'm scurrying around the laboratory in my little lab coat doing my thing. And he's, he's kind of makes this sort of casual observation. He goes, you know what? I think you're going to be successful at this because you're too dumb to know that what you're doing is really hard. And I thought that was kind of a backhanded compliment, <laughs> but I've reflected on that through, you know, the 40 years subsequent to that. I've thought about that comment a lot because I think the thing that gets in the way of a lot of people, men and women alike, in building their careers is they get in their own way. They get inside their head thinking, this is really hard. If nobody else has done this um, and much more comfortable working on a project that's already in flight than saying, you know what, I've got an idea and I'm going to pursue it. That, that takes a lot of courage. And at that point in my life, I didn't realize how much courage it took because, as he said, I was too dumb to know that that was hard. And the thing that was so amazing, that that product doubled the volume of the company, became an industry standard. 
but it gave me the appetite to keep doing that, to take wet clay and turn it into, or take an idea and turn it into something that was valuable and meaningful. So, you know, I went to graduate school. My next major luck event in my life happened at a a clinical pathology conference in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, where I was representing the diagnostics company. And I was in an elevator. I was actually waiting for an elevator. And this very handsome man started talking to me. And um, we just started the conversation. I didn't think much about it. And the next day, he shows up at my exhibit at my booth at this conference and starts talking to me again and again. And it turns out that that individual is now my husband of <laughs> 33 years. Um, at the time I met him, I was actually engaged to be married to somebody else in Philadelphia. And um, Steve, my husband, was living in Minnesota. And I thought at this medical conference, it was just a, a casual meeting. But the next week, he showed up in Philadelphia um, because he had decided at the time we met in the elevator, that he was going to marry me. And, oh, my um, gosh. Turned my life upside down. I knew he was really serious when I started getting calls from recruiters in Minnesota. And I was called by, that's he had put the recruiters on me to get me to move to Minnesota. So oh, I broke my off gosh. my engagement. I had graduated from graduate school. And I was getting calls from mostly companies in the cardiovascular medical area because that was the, it was the hotbed for that in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And those were most of the interviews I was going on. And then one day I get a call from a recruiter that a, a, a beauty and personal care company was looking for a medical marketing person. And they didn't know the difference between diagnostics and medical devices and medical supplies and pharmaceuticals. And they actually had a pharmaceutical product that was um, born out of some of the research they were doing in skincare. And not knowing the difference, the CEO of that company hired me during the interview. And it was so cool. The company was called Minnetonka Corporation. And some of their products were uh, soft soap and Calvin Klein cosmetics and VitaBath and just a completely wow. different world from where I came from. But I was hired to launch a wart treatment product. So I became the wart queen. And <laughs> um, that pulled me into the world of dermatology. And again, return on luck that launching this prescription wart product um, in a company that has never done prescription products or medical products before was also rather interesting because here I was not really knowing the rules of launching a pharmaceutical product. So, and I didn't have the resources of a pharmaceutical company behind me. And I was told it's impossible. You're not going to be able to launch a pharmaceutical product out of a consumer products company. You need a medical sales organization. You need this, you need that. And I thought, well, how do I make that happen when I don't have it? And um, what I found was, once again, um, having a network to tap into 
of, of people and resources was the solution. And I actually found another company that was about to launch a pharmaceutical product also, a brand new company that had been approved as an orphan drug. And they were going the traditional way. They were hiring a medical sales organization, but they only had one product. And they felt that the cost of that sales organization was not going to be absorbed by the revenue from that one product. So we partnered together and we shared a sales organization, which at that time was almost unheard of. Today, it's very commonplace. But back then, this idea of joint venturing and having non-competitive products in a shared sales organization was amazing. And that product became quite successful and then ultimately um, ended up going through an OTC switch. And that's how I got into the world of skincare on the consumer side of things. Ultimately, my business was sold. And instead of going to the company that it was sold to, I went to one of the companies that looked at us but decided that they didn't want to buy the business they wanted to buy me. And that was Neutrogena. Oh, my gosh. So that's how I ended up, you know, moving from what was more the medical side of skincare into more of the, not quite all the way to beauty right away, because my job at Neutrogena was actually, was to get the number one dermatology recommended claim for Neutrogena products. And that meant that I needed to work with dermatologists to ensure that when they did a procedure or treated somebody for a condition, the products they recommended to go with the prescription product for cleansing or moisturizing or sun protection was a Neutrogena product. And uh, that was ultimately what took me even further into the beauty and skincare world because while I was at Neutrogena, we were acquired by Johnson & Johnson. And ultimately, I, was, I became early on the, the liaison between Neutrogena and J&J, very different cultures that needed to start working together. And I, I was the bridge between those two worlds for a lot of the different functions. And then ultimately, I was asked to join the J&J organization to which Neutrogena, which Neutrogena was part of to run an innovation incubator for skincare there that would feed all the different skincare businesses for Johnson & Johnson, which included Neutrogena at the time and Rock and Johnson's brands and Clean & Clear, a number of different brands and Ortho, um, which was the more professional dermatology brand. But what happened at Neutrogena that carried through to J&J, again, this luck element that followed me beyond there was when I was at Neutrogena, these two beautiful dermatologists named Dr. Katie Rodan and Kathy Fields came to see us about a product concept they had called Proactive. And they believed that women just were not taking, or people in general were not taking the right approach to treating acne. And they wanted to launch an acne regimen into this world of spot treatments and zit treatments at the time. They wanted 
to really connect with people and launch a full-blown acne regimen, more or less the, anal- the analogy to what they would do in their practice to treat acne. They came to us with their little baggies of samples and talked about this idea. And I thought they were amazing. I really wanted to work with them. But the CEO of Neutrogena at the time said, how are we going to launch a $40 regimen on the shelf next to our $5.95 spot treatments? And then he said the magic words at the time, which they didn't perceive as being that magical, is you girls belong on TV. You should do an infomercial. Those were his exact words. You girls belong on TV. Anyway, not exactly what uh, Katie and Kathy wanted to hear at the time, but ultimately took that advice and launched Proactive as an infomercial with Guthy Ranker. And within just a couple of years, it was this phenomenal success that was even larger than Neutrogena in revenue um, shortly after that. Wow. And I stayed in touch with them. We stayed in touch with them as Neutrogena. We were their champions. We were um, so proud that these dermatologists were able to really transform, almost build an entire category. So now roll the clock forward. I've moved on to Johnson and Johnson running this innovation incubator and uh, Katie and Kathy, doctors Rodan and Fields came back to me at, um, at J&J and said, okay, you saw what we done with Proactive. We're ready to ex- extend into other areas of skincare with an eponymous brand, Rodan and Fields. And what do you think now, Johnson and Johnson? Are you ready for us now? And, you know, it became kind of a Groundhog Day conversation. We don't have the right class of trade to really connect with people in the way we feel the connections are necessary for this to be successful. And during that time, I was finding in general, it was really difficult to introduce breakthrough ideas into certain aspects of marketing, certain classes of trade, namely food drug mass. Putting a product on a very crowded drugstore shelf Difficult to come up with, be able to break through with innovation that way. So I got together with my, the head of business development for the consumer sector at J&J and shared a little bit about my frustrations that the very most innovative special things we were doing were oftentimes stuck on the R&D shelf and not making it into the marketplace. And she said, and I said, oh, and doctors Rodan and Fields are back. And I would love to do something with them, just as I had said at Neutrogena, but it's the class of trade doesn't make sense. And she said, you know, they should be thinking about direct selling, and so should we. And at that point, I didn't even know what that meant, direct selling. What, what, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, Avon or Amway or Mary Kay, those are direct selling companies that connect with people. And I said, oh, interesting. And so I started researching direct selling for Johnson & Johnson as an incubator, as a marketplace incubator. And during that time, I was approached by a recruiter that a company called NewSkin was looking for a president for their skincare, personal care division, and would I come and interview. NewSkin was located in Provo, Utah, and I thought, well... I don't want to move to Utah. 
I don't really want to leave J and J, but I will go on this interview because I thought I'll learn something. It'll be a good learning experience about this direct selling business model. And I went on the interview and not expecting to have any interest in joining the company. And the interview was only supposed to last with the CEO an hour. And we went on for hours talking about the dynamics of the business model. And despite myself, I ended up leaving J&J to explore direct selling as a outlet for innovation in the beauty and skincare world. And during that time, I started a conversation again with uh, Drs. Rodan and and Fields and um, talked about doing Rodan and Fields as part of New Skin. And we decided it just didn't make financial sense for either company. So Katie and Kathy launched Rodan and Fields as a brand for department stores. It's almost immediately acquired by Estee Lauder. And I had my direct selling experience. And over the course of six years, I learned the amazing things about direct selling in terms of, yes, it is this great outlet for innovation. You can really um, align this a very committed, passionate sales organization who is also your customer and your consumer in many cases around an idea that they can share and educate people on and connect with. But the other thing I learned about direct selling was the personal development and personal relationships that allowed people to grow in so many ways so that your, your, your business model in and of itself was transformative in people's lives as um, through relationships and connections and personal development and allowing thousands of people to have their own business and be micro entrepreneurs of their own. So I fell in love with the channel and then about six years into it in a serendipitous conversation I was having with, um, I called Katie Rodan and just to talk to her about something completely unrelated to direct selling. And she said, you know, we were just talking about you and we really want to explore direct selling for Rodan and Fields. Can you come meet with us and meet with William Lauder at Estee Lauder? And I, um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I said, you know, I'm happy to to have a chat with you. You know, in the direct selling world, people are very great about collaborating cross countries, coaching each other, helping each other to understand the business model, because when the channel and the sector grows, everybody benefits. So I agreed to have the conversation and they asked, ultimately, Lauder determined that, you know, they didn't really have the infrastructure to take Rodan and Fields into the direct selling world. So Katie and Kathy asked me if they bought the company back from Estee Lauder, it was very, very small at the time. If they bought it back, would I run it for them? And I said, you know, I have a non-compete where I couldn't do anything for 18 months if we do this. So, but they ended up buying the company back. I waited out my I left New Skin, waited out my 18 months on the non-compete, and almost 18 months to the day, 
we did the pivot and had they pulled out of department stores and we completely relaunched from zero in March of 20, 2008 as a direct selling, social selling brand. And um, from there, it was, you know, that is, I think, my greatest legacy to date is taking uh, and partnering with, with, with Drs. Rodan and Dr. Fields and especially partnering with the tens of thousands of amazing, primarily women, um, entrepreneurs who have built this company into the largest skincare brand in the United States. You're listening to the Converge Podcast Network, and now a message from a network supporter. I had no idea Rodan and Fields was ever in. I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Department stores, I, I, and y'all relaunched yeah. this new model in a recession. How was that? Well, you know, there is, there is some belief that a recession is actually a good time to launch a direct selling business because okay. people are looking for alternative streams of income when their existing businesses aren't going well. There's also this belief that beauty and cosmetics products do well in a recession. And it was something called the lipstick paradox. Now, both aspects of this, the business as well as the lipstick paradox have been challenged, especially in the 2008 recession. Part of the reason of challenging the benefits of a direct selling business work from home, which of course we're all experiencing right now, the um, working from home, but the, uh, the belief of the business did well because we launched during a recession, business did even better when we came out of the recession. So was it the recession or was it the brand value proposition that made the business really take off and work? We struggled during that recession time, just like everybody else did, because we were in, in the early phases. But we do believe that we benefited from um, people like realtors uh, were looking for work, and it was a terrible time. It was the you know the the collapse of the housing market, and so all these realtors were seeing their businesses going away. But realtors were really great for direct selling because oh, they're yeah. people who learn how to generate their own customer base and connect with people to create their business, and that's how direct selling works. It really starts with connecting with people and building a community around an idea. The lipstick paradox was interesting because the 2008 recession was the one example of a recession where beauty brands actually declined. And all three categories, fragrance and makeup and skincare all declined. Makeup was believed to decline because people traded off 
from the luxury or prestige brands into the more value price brands. Okay. Um, fragrance was off because people, it was something they could do without an expensive fragrance. Skincare, interestingly, was determined not to be a decline because of the recession as much as it was because people were getting disenchanted with the category. There was this glut of new product launches and people were finding that products weren't working for them. They were confused by claims. Um, the, the mass confusion associated with shopping and label claims, people were finding they were building up this product graveyard. So they were becoming, you know, that drawer, that bin of products that you bought, but you can't bring yourself to throw away, even though they don't work. So you just pile them in a drawer somewhere. Uh, that's where we really had the opportunity with direct selling and Rodan and Fields was to be able to break through all that clutter and connect with people in a way that we can ensure that they saw real benefit and real results from their skincare at a time when it was really important to them. So yes, the recession, the 2008 timeframe was actually probably a great time because it was a time where people were looking for us. And that's really when you want to launch a business is when you have a, a product or a value proposition, when people are looking for you. So there we are with luck again, right? The, the unfortunate luck for everybody of the 2008 recession became our luck in terms of having an answer and a solution for people who needed us. Wow. Well, I mean, that is fascinating. And do you find it really interesting now, you know, fast forward today where you have launched Solvasa Beauty this month, do you find it interesting that you kind of have been been at the forefront and on the front lines of launching a beauty brand in like the most unprecedented times? I know. Ever. And this one, well, this one is even more about luck, both good, bad, and because the whole product concept started. I retired. The reason I left Rodan and Fields was I, I had my husband and I made a commitment to each other that we were going to retire in the 2015 time frame. I actually left Rodan and Fields in 2016 after my successor joined the company. And we had decided that because we both worked so hard with careers that required a lot of travel and we wanted to enjoy some, some time together. My husband mastered the art of retirement. Me, not so much. Um, I just, um, I just found that, you know, I, I love, I especially love entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial opportunities. So I just continued doing board work and work with, um, people who are looking to start their own businesses. I've, I, I've joined recently the board of my graduate school, Fox School of Business at Temple University, because I've um, endowed an entrepreneurship program there, a seed fund for female entrepreneurs. So I just love working with entrepreneurs. And during this time, I was diagnosed with breast cancer which sounds like a horrible thing and something I don't wish on anybody. But again, return on luck. I was, I decided um, to go fairly aggressive in my treatment, which required an extensive reconstruction process. 
And during that time, you get to know your plastic surgeon very well because you're visiting every couple weeks in this reconstruction process. And Dr. Chopra, Ritu Chopra, was, of course, involved in the aesthetics category as a surgeon, but also he was a product innovator as well and had had uh, this desire to really bring his approach to integrative beauty to more people beyond his aesthetic practice. And he start, we started having conversations during my treatment about the, the beauty industry and the skincare business. And during that time, I was really developing a profound appreciation of the impact of stress not just every as uh, your emotional well-being and various aspects of your health and blood pressure but also on your appearance on your skin and learning the physiological connection between stress and inflammation and aging and everything basically that you don't like about your skin is tied in some ways to inflammation. So as we started talking about this kind of gap in the beauty industry, and it all relates to um, the, the, the aspects of, of mindfulness and emotional health as it relates to beauty, started talking about what was missing. And ultimately, and it was weird conversations because oftentimes you have to imagine this was happening while he was examining my breaths. And so one day he, he just cuts to the chase and says, you know, I'd like to talk to you about starting a business. And I had to ask him if I could put my clothes on first because it was <laughs> such an awkward moment. And, you know, I said to him, I'm not really sure I'm up for taking on another startup at this point in my life. But as we started talking about it, I realized it was just something that I had to do. And now roll the clock forward as we're launching Silvasa. It's, it's all about the skin, body, and mind connection and about beauty in our presence. Intention over habit, attitude over age, presence over everything. And so while to some extent we launched the company, we're just getting going no momentum or anything yet. We're actually in a pre-launch phase where we're just being joined by the courageous, bold people who are ready to take on a startup as our connectors, as we're calling our representatives, connectors, because it's really about connecting with people. Uh, but right now we have something really special to offer because of our approach to stress management and the, the basis for that. So again, interesting timing. Um, and thank goodness for technology that's allowing us to stay connected with our connectors during this very disruptive time. So the dust is starting to settle. We're learning more about working from home than we ever knew in the past. Oh, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting time, but a beautiful time in many ways as well, because if you take some time out from one of the things that the product we had just launched um, in the, the body area, but it also relates to the mind. Everything is related 
skin, body, mind connection. None of it is separated. So we're working mindfulness practices into the beauty routine with our skincare products. But we also have a beverage, a nutritional beverage. It's a nutritional supplement. It's, it's called Golden Moment. Uh, this isn't intended to be a pitch, but I need to, to share this idea because it's been so valuable to so many of us. So we have this hot beverage that's a nutritional supplement, 250 milligrams of curcumin, which is the, uh, the, the beneficial component of turmeric. And turmeric is getting really appreciated these days for its profound anti-inflammatory yes. and wellness benefits. But we've created this beverage that's our interpretation of a traditional Eastern beverage called golden milk that yes. people have been drinking for centuries. So we've launched this product really intended to be a delicious but, but healthful beverage. But what we're actually finding is that creating a little ritual around this, that's sort of a nod to a tradition of the past of tea time, where we take time out and enjoy a cup with a loved ones or with friends virtually or in person. So I started doing a golden moment at 5 p.m. every oh, day with my that. husband about a week ago. And we sit and we talk about positive things and share gratitude. And this is not my husband. My husband is the doom and gloom guy. So sitting there <laughs> and having a cup of golden moment and talking about good things and how fortunate we are to be in a safe place and to have our vineyard that we could stroll around in and chickens that are giving us eggs and um, the positivity associated that our family is safe. Just talking about and how to keep ourselves healthy through all of this. And it's gotten to the point where the other day I needed to pick up some prescriptions. It was my first time out of the house, out of the neighborhood, out of my walks to go somewhere, to go into a public place. And I was getting ready to leave and to go pick up these prescriptions. And he says, you're going now? And I said, well, I, I want to get there before the pharmacy closes. And he says, but it's five o'clock. It's time for our golden moment. And I thought, yes, he's, I love you know, that. He's, he's craving it now, this time together. And so these are things that I have to say, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have even thought about, but having gone through this breast cancer treatment, appreciating that I could have very well have developed this little tumor as a result of all of the stress that I allowed in my life through the years. And we all have stress, but I didn't do the practices that help you manage the stress appropriately. And I've got to say, what I'm loving now is I sit at home without makeup on and I'm okay. My skin looks great and I'm managing the stress of it all. Learn to meditate. It's all great. Man. Well, I mean, your story is fascinating and your journey of just, you know, starting out really on the medical side. One thing that you said early on was it was one of your mistakes that led to one of your biggest breakthroughs at 24. Yep. What would you say to a listener who is just getting started? They're so scared of screwing up and wasting time. What would you say to that person? Because your, your mistake led to breakthrough. And I think if we can get comfortable with making mistakes, 
we'd all do better. <laughs> well, you know what? You're, we're all going to make mistakes. And when you think about the world around us, it's moving so fast. Making, making mistakes is part of agility. And we think of agile development as part of a, 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 a technology, digital technology development method. But when you think about it in general and how you approach anything you're, you're looking to do in life or in your career, we live in a very fast-moving world. It's actually very volatile. And if you have volatility without agility, what you end up with is fragility. You become fragile. And so that agility, that ability to quickly adjust, to learn and adjust, learn and adjust is, is how you find the successes and the wins. And you're not going to learn uh, without making mistakes. But, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing I would say in terms of learning fast is welcoming in others into whatever it is you're doing. And I've learned through the years, and I remember people, at one point I was at the American Academy of Dermatology meeting. I was at New Skin at the time and I was with some of my colleagues and I was going through the poster sessions where people are showing their, their work, their science. And I was talking to everybody who would listen about a product idea I had. And I was getting their feedback and somebody said to me, well, you know, this is still kind of confidential. Why are you talking to people about these ideas? And I said, you know, they're not going to run out for the most part and try to take my idea because I had a casual conversation with them at a poster session. But in having these conversations, I'm getting feedback. I'm learning. I am getting perspective on things. And now I'm also developing relationships where I can go back to people and tap them for questions or insights when I'm trying to figure out how to get things done. And, you know, what I found out at one point, for instance, I was trying to solve a problem and it was the craziest problem. I had this wart treatment. It was a little gum patch that, and the biggest problem I had with this product and this treatment was that it would not, the tape that I was using to hold it on wouldn't stick to people's skin overnight. They sweated it off. And I was trying to find super aggressive tape to hold it on. And one day I was at a nursing meeting and I was talking to somebody who makes tape that goes on NG tubes that they tape to people's lips. And it was this paper tape that looked very skin friendly and non-aggressive. And it turns out that's what got my wart treatment to stick. So what I could suggest, and I talk a lot about a mashup and the innovation at the intersection. So when you're working on something, you are going to make mistakes, but reach out, putting your nose to the grindstone and staying super focused and never looking up and looking around you will get you nowhere. So when you're working on something and you make a mistake, get out of your office, get out of your head, pick up a book, read something that will allow you to free up your thinking and move forward. Man, I, I could not, you know, agree more. I've really been someone who's been really scared of making mistakes. 
Um, but once I've really, you know, had the big doozies, it's like, oh, it's not that. It doesn't define me. It doesn't push me back years. I just actually wish I would have been able to dread that less, embrace the mistake and move on, you know? Well, we learn from our mistakes. And, you know, I have to, um, kind of a little funny story again about Silvassa. And right now I have to say the thing that makes me the most nervous is that we have, I have external investors, just a couple angel investors who have, are betting on us. And because I've worked with them before and the one who has made the large, the person who has made the largest investment actually fired me uh, at one point uh, and well asked me to resign, but basically fired me and then rehired me a few days later. He called to say he made a mistake and uh, the, and it's, it's a long story, but the rationale for firing me was tied to a reorganization and they ultimately decided that uh, I could be valuable in the redesigned company. But he later on said publicly that the worst mistake he ever made was firing me. It ultimately um, was what led me to have the conversation with Katie Rodan and Kathy Fields. So being fired was a stroke of luck for me. But um, yeah, so you never know what mistakes are going to lead to your biggest successes. And failures, you know, are... um, we all fail at things from time to time. And, you know, if you don't try, you're, if you don't take that, that risk, knowing that failure is always a possibility, nothing in this world would ever happen. How many times did Steve Jobs fail? Really? So many, you know, I, th- I think all the time when I'm so scared of making a mistake that the heroes in business or the people, you know, we use as examples, um, had failure after failure and they learned yeah. to embrace it. And yeah. so I've got to just get over that, you know, and I think that's a really powerful conversation for our listeners. You know what because- else, Kelsey? I think your, your two X chromosomes are an issue to some extent. Uh-huh. Um, I, I would love yeah. to hear your thoughts. I know that yeah. one thing you're passionate about is women and men are different and to roll yeah. with it. Tell me more. Yes. Yeah. So women have a tendency to assign successes to their team, to the external environment, but they own their failures. Where men have this ability to much more effectively assign failures to the circumstances and own the wins. And we need to, you know, adopt a little bit of that in our female brains. And it's much more difficult because we're, we're far more emotional about uh, the the responses to 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 what happens where it's just the way we're generally wired. I mean, there are a lot of exceptions to that, but for the most part, men are really good at owning their wins and assigning their failures to the circumstances. We Man, own our failures. That I will so. say that's very true for me, and I could learn a lot from men yeah. and and just women who have champ- who have really pushed through this. Um, I can learn a lot from the people who can own their wins. So I am so with you. Well, before we go, I would love for you to tell us, you know, what's next for you, 
for Sylvasa Beauty, um, Integrative Beauty. Tell us a little bit about that and where everyone can kind of check out what's coming down the pipeline um, in the next few months. Yeah, well, we're very new. So we're in what we're calling a pre-launch phase because we are still in the process of completing out the digital side of our commerce platforms. So we have a way where people can start their business by joining us as a connector, or they can explore our products on a very limited basis with an entry-level product package very shortly in the next couple of months. And I'd give you an exact date, except I'm not ready yet, quite yet, to confirm that that date will be ready. But um, very shortly, uh, the full product range will be available But where you can find us right now is at sylvasabeauty.com. I'm sure the spelling will be in your show notes, but sylvasa is spelled S-O-L-V-A-S-A. So sylvasabeauty.com. Or you can check out our blog, that's sylvasalife.com. And that is uh, all about, um, it's articles about integrative beauty, beauty that brings together the skin, body, mind connection, and the aspects of community and connections and all of that. So you can find us there. Um, and we're on Instagram and every place else. So that's where you would find us now. And you can follow me on Instagram at Lori H. Bush, no breaks. And um, we are also very active right now on Facebook and our on Silvasa Facebook Live. We're offering up sessions with our neuropsychologist, Dr. Kristen Race, who does mindfulness practices for women with with busy, big lives, whether it's business-related or as parents or teachers. And right now, she's doing a series of live Facebook sessions on stress management through this time of COVID. And those sessions are on Facebook Live on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon Pacific time, but they're posted then for for review. So anybody can access those. They're not commercial. They're free. And it's our way of helping everybody through this incredibly unusual time in our history. What a time to be alive. Thank you for for, uh, offering that because I can certainly benefit even from those mindfulness um, practices in this season. And so, man, Lori, I've so enjoyed talking to you, hearing your story. You'll definitely have to join us again sometime. Uh, But thank you for joining us today. Would love to. And to all of your listeners and everybody, if we're still in shelter in place and going through this, Stay well, stay safe, and appreciate the beauty in your presence. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback, and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. Want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. It's not every day you have to replace a water heater, more like every 10 years. The Home Depot can help with a wide selection of the latest models from Rheem and a helpful online water heater buying guide to help make choosing the right Rheem easy. From gas to electric, tankless, even smart models that can spot a leak before it happens. Water heaters have come a long way. You don't have to. Go to homedepot.com to find the latest Rheem water heaters and helpful answers and advice from our water heater buying guide. Only from the Home Depot. How doers get more done. 